0: You'd like to read with me? I'll be reading from the King James, I mean the, New, the English Standard Version. Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14. That's Galatians two, eleven through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? You may be seated.
1: For our reading today, and thank you for Jonathan for leading us in our singing, for the fine prayers, and for all the men who have Let us in worship today. We're very grateful, and I'm very happy to be with you today and happy to see everyone with us. Our visitors today are always welcome, and we encourage you to come back and be with us tonight at six o'clock, where we'll be studying and worshiping God once again. Encourage you to come and be with us on that occasion, and all opportunities that you have as we worship and study together. I'd like to invite you to be with us for our spring gospel meeting, April the 24th, through the 27th. Brother Rick Brumbach is going to be with us from Austin, and we're going to be discussing the theme, New Testament Christianity in a Modern Age, a Modern World. And I think you can see something of the value of a great theme like that. A lot of issues that we face in our modern world, a lot of challenges we face as Christian people. What does the Bible say about those matters? We're going to be discussing those matters uh, Sunday through Wednesday night, Sunday night at six o'clock and then Monday through Wednesday at 7 o'clock, April 24th through the 27th. Elders may make more announcement about that, and I'm happy for them to do that, but I wanted us to really be aware of that particular matter as it draws closer and closer. Cards are out there in the vestibule for you to pick up and to take and send to your friends. In fact, there's going to be a a class uh, this afternoon at 5 o'clock for you to attend to help you with the social media aspects of that, to invite people by means of social media and I hope you'll be able to attend that as folks will be there to help us understand it all the better. I'm thinking about Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2 there's a statement there that's amazing to me where Paul says that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. King James uses the word dissimulation. That's what dissimulation means. It means hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now, before we can really appreciate what's happening in Galatians chapter 2, perhaps I should talk a little bit about the context of that passage. And here you have Christians, Jewish Christians from Jerusalem, going up to the churches of Galatia, and they're meeting with them, they're meeting with Paul, And there they're seeing the great work that Paul is doing among the Gentiles, all those who are not Jewish. These people who have come up from Jerusalem are very important people. And so when they see that Peter withdraws himself and does not fellowship and sit down and eat with these Gentile people, then Paul disputes him and, and discusses that matter to him. And I don't get the ideas I read from the passage that he's talking about in front of everybody, but I, I get the idea that he does contend with Peter over this matter, that he's walking hypocritically. Uh, he's not walking according to the truths of the gospel. These men and women who are Gentiles are now members of the Lord's church, and we should be in fellowship with them. You see, they were withholding their fellowship from them, and they wouldn't sit down and eat with them. And Paul thought that this is, and Paul was right, this was just not in keeping with the word of God. The interesting thing for me in this passage is he's not surprised at Peter, but he's surprised at Barnabas. And he says, even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Even he, withheld himself and his fellowship from the Gentile Christians. I suppose Paul wasn't so surprised at Peter. Peter could be a vacillating kind of character there. It was not long after Peter had said to Jesus, I will never betray you, that he turned around and betrayed the Lord. And we all know the story involved in that. I suppose um, Peter, rather impetuous type of individual, Paul's not surprised at that. But he's surprised at Barnabas. Even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. They were saying, yes, become a member of the church. Yes, obey the gospel of Christ. But we will not sit down and eat with you because you're Gentiles and we're Jews. And Paul's saying that's not in keeping with the teaching of the gospel that we're all brethren in Christ, we're all obedient to the gospel, and we all should be together on this particular matter. But even Barnabas was carried away with this kind of matter. You remember Barnabas. You know, when Saul had obeyed the gospel of Christ, Acts chapter 9, and he began to join himself with the apostles and the rest of the disciples, but they were afraid of him, and they withdrew from him. But it was Barnabas who took his arms and uh, placed his arm around the shoulders of Paul and said he's one of us now he's to be included you see Barnabas was not a person that would want to exclude anyone and then when that great church of Antioch was really going Acts chapter 11 why Barnabas goes and seeks out Saul Saul's at Tarsus and he and Saul they go to uh, Antioch and there they remain with the church and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch Acts chapter 11 and verse 26 and what a great story that was It's in Acts chapter 13 that the Holy Spirit decided to separate Barnabas and Saul to go and preach the gospel to the world. And so they were there at Antioch, but now it's time for you two, Barnabas and Saul, to become the, his name would be changed to Paul, and he would use his Greek name, Paul, a little later in the book of Acts. You two go out and preach the gospel to everybody. You see, he was so inclusive in Acts chapter fifteen there they 're preaching the Word of God, and he goes to Barna- he goes to Jerusalem there to defend Paul and the work of Paul and what 's going on there it 's in the latter portion of Acts chapter fifteen that Barnabas says let 's go on this journey again, and let 's take John Mark with us." but Paul says no we 're not going to take john mark verse thirty six through forty one and the contention was very strong between them. You see, Barnabas was a person called the son of consolation who wanted to encourage and build up and try to include everyone. And Paul says, even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. I'm I'm sure it was a surprise for Paul to see Barnabas, of all people, Maybe not surprised at Peter. But for Barnabas to withdraw himself and not have fellowship with these Christians now, even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But you know, the point of the passage is not so much about Barnabas. The point of the passage is the power and the influence of which caused Barnabas to act out of character. The point of the passage was the pressure from these Jewish Christians from Jerusalem that they were placing on these other men of faith that caused them to act out of line, that they normally wouldn't act this way. But now because of the pressure, sometimes we call it peer pressure, it's caused them to act in a different way out of sync with what they normally would act. And that's something we've got to be careful about. No matter how faithful we might be, why, even you or even me might be carried away with the falsehood if we're not careful. Peer pressure is a dangerous thing, isn't it? It caused Barnabas to act out of character. It can cause you and me to act out of character. But we're not the only ones to have to face that. There are many examples of peer pressure that come before us in the pages of the Bible, and I think if we just took a moment, we can see just how much the group has pressured other people to change in their behavior and in their view. Why think of Solomon, a man who would pray to God, give me an understanding heart that I might lead these people and make the right decisions for these people. But look what happened to Solomon. Well, all of the wives that he took and all of the concubines that he had for the time, And they led his heart away from God. And he was no longer the faithful, strong king that he started out to be, but because of the pressure of others, they led him in the wrong direction. See in the pages of the Bible, how the Solomon drifted far away from where he was initially. And then look at Samson. What a tragic story Samson is. And there's Delilah the person who influenced him and pressured him, tell me where your strength lies. And finally, due to her pressure, he says, well, I'm a Nazarite, and I've never had any strong drink, no wine or strong drink, and I've never had any razor on my head. if you were to cut my hair, then I would lose my strength. That's where my strength is. And she called a manservant in. He came and shaved the head of Samson. And what a tragic end Samson is. It's because of the pressure. And look at Lot and his family in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 18. And the pressure that was placed on that family. And finally those heavenly visitors come to Lot and say, You've got to get out of the city. God has sent us to destroy the city. And you've got to get out and don't look back. And even his wife looked back as they were leaving and turned into a pillar of salt. The pressure that was there on his family. Not only was Lot in Sodom, but a lot of Sodom was in the heart of Lot's family because of the social pressure. The Israelite nation itself was told to go into the land of promise, and God was going to give them this great land of flowing with milk and honey, a land of great promise, and what were they to do? They were not to take in the tribes and the nations around them. But what do they end up doing? Because of the social pressure, they end up becoming like the nations around them. They begin to worship Baal and the Asherah. They start worshiping on the high places. They forget the covenant with God, and they begin to compromise. The Bible abounds with example of the power of the group against the few and the pressure that we sometimes face because of that. Herod the king, Had John beheaded, Matthew chapter 14 and 9, because of his oath and because of his guess, the pressure that was there. And we all remember Pilate. And he tried to say, as he said several times, I find no fault in the man. But yet because of the pressure of the Jews, they kept putting pressure on him. Crucify him, crucify him. And ultimately he yielded to the pressure. The Bible abounds with this discussion about... Peer pressure. Even Barnabas was carried away with their dissimulation, their hypocrisy. It can happen to us all. It's been discussed and studied even in modern times. A man by the name of Solomon Ash uh, was one of the first psychologists to develop a study of peer pressure and how it can affect people. And if I may, let me take just a minute and discuss with you uh, a little bit about what he found. He took 10 college students, and all the students were in on it except one, and that was the test study. Brought them into a room, and he had someone get up and explain what the rules are. Now, I'm going to show you some cards, and on the cards are going to be some straight lines. And the first line is going to be the standard line. Then you're going to have three more lines, and you tell me which line is the same level and length as the standard line. Some of the lines will be shorter. Some of the lines will be longer. One line will be the same length as the standard line. It might be one. It might be two. It might be three. You tell me which one is the same length as the standard line. And so all the students are in on it except one. And so each student is asked a question. Which line is the same length as the standard line? And they deliberately give a wrong answer until they come to the subject student. Now everybody else is given a deliberately wrong answer and he's looking at that. And 75% of the time, the subject student gave the wrong answer. Even though it was obvious which line is equal to the standard line, even though it's obvious that the one line is shorter or the two line is longer and the three line is the same as the standard line, 75% of the time the subject student would give the wrong answer. And they would bring the subject student in and ask him, why did you give the wrong answer? And they had various answers for that, explanations. And one of them would say, Well, everybody else said it was number three. I thought it must be number three. Well, couldn't you see that number three was shorter than the object line? And he said, yeah. But I didn't want to go against everybody else. Everybody else was saying it was the same. So I said it was the same. This happens 75% of the time. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I think it's interesting. He brought in another group of students, and this time... He put a student in there that was to give the deliberate right answer. Let's see if we have a student that gives a deliberate right answer. What will happen to the subject student? And he brought all these students in, and everybody's given the wrong answer, and then this one student gives the right answer. Then you have another couple of wrong answers deliberately given, and then we come to the suspect, the subject student, and what does he do? 30% of the time, he gives the wrong answer. When he's got somebody in there with him that agrees with him, he's more apt to give the right answer than if he is there by himself giving an answer that is the right answer. With no one else agreeing with him, 70% of the time they're going to give the wrong answer and go along with the crowd. With somebody else there with him agreeing with him, only 30% of the time will he give the wrong answer going along with the crowd. Peer pressure. Even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Turn with me to a book of the Bible that I think is very neglected and one that needs to be studied, and I'm thinking about the book of Proverbs. And, you know, Mom and Dad, I think I'd sit down if I had time to Read to my children, I think I'd take time to read to them. I'd be reading to them the book of Proverbs. And I'd be explaining to them just exactly how practical and important the book of Proverbs is to their life. Proverbs chapter 1. So much of Proverbs is designed as a father teaching his son important and valuable lessons. He says in the passage, verse 10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us and let us lie and wait for blood. In other words, let's hide, hide in the bushes and let's waylay somebody and see what kind of uh, thievery we can conduct and see what, what we can get out of them. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. Verse 13... We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. The Bible is telling us, do not go along with the crowd. Do not go along with what the pressure is trying to say and trying to get you to do. Uh, Let's skip class today, okay? Well, let's get together and make fun of that person. It's okay to cheat on that test. All of us are doing it. Shoplifting, that's fun. Let's see if we can get by with it. How about drinking alcohol at the ball game? Illegal for minors. Foolish for everyone. What about drugs? Those illegal drugs that we can get? Let's go ahead and do that. After all, everyone is doing this. You ought to at least try this, because it's the latest thing. On the spur of the moment, the group is trying to think for you on the spur of the moment. The group is trying to put its pressure on you to mold you and make you think and do the way they want you to do. It is certainly not the kind of thing that God is teaching in the pages of God's word. God is trying to say don't follow the group. Don't be like the Ash experiment and group psychology whereby I know this is wrong, but I'm gonna go ahead and say it's okay anyway because I'm afraid of being disappointing to the group. I'm afraid that I will not appear to be sophisticated and very intellectual. Besides, these are all my friends, and I want to fit in. Did you ever get the idea that this is just a young person problem? This is a problem that you and I must face every single day. You just wonder how many times problems arise with our young people. Do you think it was some vagabond out of the street, some stranger that just walked up to you and decided to get you to do this? No, it was their friends. Their friends coached them. Friends in a group began to motivate them, to lead them. And rather they think for themselves, they begin to think the way the group thinks. But what does the Bible say? How shall I resist this? The first thing you're going to have to do is ask questions about it whatever activity you're called upon to do, you ask questions about that. Where are we going? What are we going to do? Who's going to be there? What's the point of this? And it could be that you're the very one who's able to stop that particular matter right in its tracks, be the person of Ash's group that says, yeah, I'm going to give the right answer to this. Ask questions about it. One thing you need to do, you need to call it like it is, it may be looked upon as being the right thing to do, but you call it like it is. If it's belittling another person, you recognize that for what it is. Don't sugarcoat it, but actually look about it with its facts. Smoking is bad for everyone. Don't be doing it. Undergoing or doing, uh, engaging in drinking illegally, drinking socially, this is a bad thing. Don't be doing that. Stealing is immoral. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5, let him that stole steal no more, rather working with his hands, giving to those who are in need. Stealing is the wrong thing. Even though the group may be putting pressure on you to act and behave in a certain way, you're saying no to that because the group will not talk to me and tell me what I am to do. Friends are not good friends that try to tell you to do things and hide them from your parents or hide them from your spouse or hide them from those who are near and dear to you. Good friends are not friends who are trying to use nice words for bad things. You call it like it is, and thus be able to avoid the mistakes that so many have had before them. Identify the consequences of this action. I think a lot of times we get ourselves into problems, and we're carried away with hypocrisy because we don't really stop and think, where is this going to lead me? If I would look at that carefully, I could really see where it's going to lead me. Oh, I think I'm above being arrested. Oh, I think I'm above being caught. Oh, I think I'm above obeying the law. Well, you'll find out. You'll find out soon. The consequences follow you with regard to your actions. That though we may be free to choose between this act or another act, we are not free from the consequences of those acts, will have to suffer them. What you ought to do is suggest a better idea. This is how you get out of this. I don't want to do that, let's do this. Suggest a better idea with regard to what to do and what not to do. And then first, and finally, if you have to, just leave. But I like for us to say we ought to leave the door open. We ought to leave the door open so that they can come to us and ask us why we didn't do this, why we didn't participate in that, which gives us an opportunity to talk about passages like Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, and don't be conformed, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. It gives you an opportunity to help someone else on these particular matters. But there are two sides to this equation. It's not just a matter of me But it's the matter of others being influenced by me. And I wonder how Peter felt when he was leading others away from the truth. And Paul withstood him to the face and said, You're not walking worthy of the gospel. By his influence, he had led others in the wrong way. And even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. You see, my influence is such an important thing. My influence can be used for good or it can be used for bad. I have a great responsibility here with regard to my influence, how I'm to use it, and how I'm not to use it. By the kind of influence I exert on others, I'm leading people either toward Christ or away from Christ. It is my responsibility. Romans 14 and verse 7 teaches us very clearly. For none of us live lives to ourselves, and no one dies to himself. We have a responsibility to others. And in turn, we must decide what kind of influence we're exerting. There are two sides to this equation, you see. I wonder how Peter felt. I read the story about Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde were the famous bank thieves and uh, robbers in Texas, and they wrote Henry Ford a letter. And in the letter, they told him, whenever they steal a car, they always try to steal a Ford. They liked Ford. So the Ford Motor Company <laughs> kept that letter on file. Well, of course, there's influence there, though they trot out the letter, and they thought, well, with that influence, with that kind of influence, maybe we can sell more cars. And so they bring the letter out and show how that uh, Bonnie and Clyde wrote a letter. I was in a Memphis um, barbecue place, and there's a picture of Elvis Presley. And on that picture is his handwritten autograph and also um, the uh, statement, Thanks for the ribs. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) He's using his influence. Even though he's long gone, He's using his influence to sell barbecue. And coming from Memphis, we're very particular about our barbecue. We only want the very best barbecue. And they think they can sell more barbecue because of his influence. It is a purposeful thing, this matter of influence. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 and a passage that you and I are very familiar with. It is a passage that comes to us as a part of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about influence, isn't he? About verse 13, he begins, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. Verse 14. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all that are in the house. Now, I love verse 16. In the same way let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You ought to mark that in your Bible. In fact, we ought to circle this great paragraph. What is it saying? You have influence for good. What does salt do? Salt has a preservative type of element about it. It has a taste enhancement element about it. You are the people that make the world a better place to live. If you use your influence for Christ, if you use your influence for good, but if you go by the herd, if you go by the group, if you follow the group and let the group tell you what to do and how to live and how to talk and how to dress, you're going to lose the value. What is the salt worth if it loses the quality of saltiness? It is henceforth good for nothing, but be trodden under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. What a wonderful thing. We're making by our influence the world a better place to live. But how valuable is our influence if we put that light under a bushel and we go along with just the other ten and whatever, even though we know they're wrong, we go along with it. You see, even Barnabas went along with it. The power of that persuasive group. We can do the same thing. We're to influence this world and try to change it from darkness to light and from the power of satan unto god we are the light of the world i took a group of students one time to um one of the caves up in east tennessee and we had a big group of kids and i was along with them we had several teachers several chaperones, going through the cave and we had a uh, one of the uh, guides was there, and he's talking about the caves, the caves. caves very interesting, caverns, Cumberland Caverns. And a cavern is a network of caves. And there's a huge uh, network of caverns and caves up there in that part of Tennessee. And he said, now we're going to turn all the lights out. And they turned all the lights out, and I never saw such darkness in my life. It was dark. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. In fact, I tried that. I put my hand right up in front of my face and I couldn't see it. But i tell you what I could see. Some student over there had a watch with a luminous dial. And my eye immediately went to that light. It wasn't much of a light, but it did dispel some of the darkness. Jesus is saying, well, to do that with our lives. Let our lives be light. Use the influence against the darkness. Use our lives to help other people and make this world a better world in which to live. Now, what am I talking about when I say use our lives as a light? Here are some of the things we're going to talk about. If you are taking God's name in vain in your speech... If you are using God's name, the name of Christ, irreverently, stop it. Do not speak disparagingly of that which is holy. If you're talking about God and Christ in disparaging terms, change that habit and change it right now. If you're using vulgar kind of talk, vulgar kind of words, then you stop using them. You start using the kind of wholesome speech that benefits and builds up and exhorts. Stop thinking that the laws of our community do not apply to you. Start talking about the fact that you are responsible for how you act and your behavior. You're responsible to follow the law of the land just like I'm responsible to, just like all of us are responsible to, Stop thinking that somehow I'm going to be like those people on the movie or on television and somehow do whatever I can do and get out of it. Start letting your light shine by being the kind of person who respects God's law and man's law. Be the kind of person who's willing to talk about the scripture. And don't be backward and don't be ashamed of the word of God. Don't be backward and don't be ashamed of the church of the living God. Let your light shine and use your influence in that regard. Start reading the word of God. If you're not reading it and studying it, start doing that. And start having conversations about the word of God among your friends. And do that so that you can help them. That's letting your light shine before men. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You want to let your light shine? Here's how you do it. Stop measuring everything of value with a materialistic outlook and start measuring things as to their value spiritually. The most important measure is not the materialistic measure. How much money that is made, how big a house it is, how big a fancy a car we drive, or the kinds of clothes we wear— The most important measure is not a materialistic measure, but the most important measure is a spiritual measure, a measure whereby we look upon things as the way God looks upon it and pray for wisdom, that God may give you the wisdom so that you can see things better like he does and put the right kind of value to it. You want to let your light shine and help other people? Not be carried away into this hypocrisy by the crowd, then stop staying out late on Friday night and Saturday night. Stop staying out so late so that you can't come to Bible study and worship service on Sunday morning. That now I've been out with such activities so late on Saturday night, now I'm too tired to come to worship service and Bible study. Stop doing that. Start letting your light shine so that you can focus on the need to be together with fellow Christians and studying the Bible and in turn being there with them sunday mornings and sunday nights and wednesday nights being with them in worship services considered as essential matters parents you know you move heaven and earth to make sure that son or daughter's at the ball game which is a good thing i'm for ball games but also show them the value of studying the bible the word of god what kind of message are we teaching our children when we show them how important their schoolwork is and their activities at school are, and then at the same time, studying the Bible and Bible classes nearly not as important as that. Well, naturally, we're conveying the wrong image. We're conveying the wrong inference to our children. The minds of our children, they get the idea, well, the pursuit of physical things are very important, but the pursuit of spiritual things are not as important. We can let that slide. That's not as important as exceeding in life and really getting a step up. You want to let your light shine? You won't have to stop watching and listening to the garbage that's being promoted out there as entertainment. Now, I know people do not like for us to talk about their music, and they don't like for us to talk about their entertainment. Young ones do not like for parents to criticize their music and criticize their entertainment. If you want to use your influence for good as salt and light and resist the peer pressure that comes along, you're going to have to watch what you read, Watch and listen to in this culture. It is a sin-saturated culture. It is a culture that naturally is promoting its own agenda. And it's not the gospel of Christ. The biggest preachers that we have in this day and time are your TV producers, movie directors, and that sort of thing that are trying to push, push, push a moral type of agenda that is not according to the will and the word of God. We have got to let our light shine. Don't be taken in with the pressure, but at the same time, say to them, no, I'm not going to participate in that. I'm not going to be involved in that. I want to let my light shine before men that they may see my good works and glorify my Father which is in heaven. I'm a Christian, and that's what I want to do. And i tell you something else I'm going to have to stop doing. I'm going to have to stop having fried preacher, stewed elder, and poached deacon for lunch on Sunday afternoon when elders and preachers and deacons and servants of the church are doing the best that they can and they're devoting themselves to the work and they love the work and they're praying for the work and they're giving everything they've got into the work. Let us support them rather than always standing behind, quick to criticize, quick to find fault oh it's not as good as that one it's not as important as that one over there let us stop ridiculing those who are trying to do their best in the kingdom of god and let's support them and hold up their hands you know why i'm not going to succumb to the pressure of the group and even though i know this is wrong I'm going to say it's wrong. I'm not going to get involved in it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stand up and do what's right. And let me add this. We're going to have to be careful how we dress. Do not allow the world to tell you how to dress. Young women, you've got to be careful how you dress. You've got to dress modestly. Young men. You've got to be careful how you dress. You can't allow the world to tell you how to dress. You cannot dress yourself and present yourself in public like the world would like for you to do. You've got to be the person who will not succumb to the pressure, but the kind of person who will say, I'm a Christian, and I'm going to live like a Christian, and I'm going to let my light shine before men. I'm not going to be taken in by this hypocrisy. I'm not going to allow them to tell me what to do. But I will dress in a modest and appropriate way. Now this particular matter of our dress needs to be discussed. And it needs to be discussed discreetly and politely but straightforwardly. That we are men and women of Christ. And we are to portray ourselves that way. Before, brethren, and before the world. And even though the world does it, doesn't mean we're to do it. Because when I look at everybody saying, this is wrong, right, this is right, this is right, and I know it's wrong, I'm not going to be carried away with that hypocrisy. Now, brethren... Have I become your enemy because I've told you the truth? Have I stepped on your toes no more than I've stepped on mine? We need to understand what the will of the Lord is in this matter as in all matters. And we need to apply it to ourselves properly. And have the humility of heart and mind to say, I will not argue with the teaching of the Scripture, but I will follow it because I want my light to shine and make this world a better place to live. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, I urge you to do that today. Never be ashamed of the gospel, to repent of sin and confess your faith. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. What a wonderful thing that is to receive forgiveness and to be right in God's sight. And we have this opportunity to do it now. If you've been unfaithful, maybe it's time for you to repent of that sin. In fact, it's high time. And I urge you to do that this morning. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.